Moving on to our second speaker for the evening, Annette Jacobson. Annette is a PhD student at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute. She defected to science after many years as a dispatcher for the ambulance service in Melbourne. She now spends her days investigating strange proteins and mechanisms of cell death while trying to keep up socially with the significantly younger students in her lab, in the lab. Annette's dreams include sampling as many craft beers as she can before her liver gives up and travelling to every continent in the world, two to go, and completing her PhD before she hits retirement age. Please make Annette feel welcome. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for that introduction. Um, so I am a total novice at Laboratory. I have not been to see one, and it's the first time I've spoken at one, so I am a little bit nervous. <laughs> uh, so tonight I wanted to, I'm wearing a superhero top, because tonight I want to tell you a story that's about a hero and a villain. Uh, so the story I want to tell you about is about the world's most dangerous bacterial supervillain and the scientific superhero who initiated its downfall. The bacteria I'm talking about is the agent of the plague, which some of you may have heard of before, like maybe known as the Black Death. Have people here heard of that? Yep, sweet. And uh, it's the it's bacteria which holds the dubious honour of, of causing the most human deaths in history. Our hero is a man called Alexandre Yassong. Um, I'll talk a bit more about him later, but first I want to introduce you to our villain. All right, so... Hey, better. That makes it loud. <laughs> um, it's probably appropriate I'm talking about a bacterial supervillain today because, as you can probably tell from my voice, I'm battling my own bacterial villain at the moment. So um, apologies if I sound a little bit husky. Uh, so uh, there have been three major plagues, uh, plague pandemics in recorded history. The first plague was the plague of Justinian, which was named after the em emperor at the time. Uh, it was in the 1540s and it spread through the Roman Empire and the uh, eastern Mediterranean area from Constantinople. This plague caused somewhere between 25 to 50 million people's deaths. Um, at the height of its, um, I guess, its peak, it was killing 5,000 people per day in Constantinople, which is massive. Uh, this ended up being about a quarter of the population in the, in the region that was killed by this plague over a period of about 200 years. It kept recurring on and off over that time. The second pandemic was the one that most of you guys probably would have heard about, which is the, uh, the Black Death, which hit Europe in the 1340s, was the first time it came in there. Uh, it spread from China and again came up through Constantinople, Europe, Northern Africa. Uh, numbers are still debated, but they reckon it's somewhere between one-eighth and two-thirds of the whole European population was killed by this disease. It was somewhere between 75 to 200 million people killed, and they reckon close to a quarter of the population of Europe was killed within the first five years it was there. So this is a, a really, really scary disease. So the third outbreak of plague um, began in... This one started from China again was in the 1850s, and it started to spread slowly through the country over the next 40 years. Um, things were a bit different this time around. So previous to this, people didn't have any idea that it was bacteria or viruses or any types of microbes that caused disease. So they thought the plague was just punishment from God for being um, 
I guess, ungodly people or whatever it was they were particularly doing wrong at the time. So, so the answer to plague was just essentially to pray more and try and be more pious and do more good deeds, which didn't seem to work so well. So around the uh, 1850s, things were changing. We're starting to discover that uh, there were such a thing as microbes. And two of the fathers of modern microbiology were Louis Pasteur, um, who some of you may have heard of, and Robert Cox. So um, these guys together helped develop the theory of, um, I guess, the germ theory of disease and helped us understand that there were organisms around us that could spread disease from one person to the other. So these guys were just approaching their peak. And um, also, something else happened in the 1960s. It was um, in a small town in Switzerland, our hero was making his first appearance. So his full name, Alexandre Emile Jean Yasson, who from this point, due to my not very good French pronunciation, I'm going to keep calling Alex. <laughs> so he, Alex was the youngest of three siblings. He was born just three weeks after his own father's death. Um, his mother, in order to provide for the family, started a finishing school for girls, which Alex didn't think was a very good thing. Uh, he didn't hide, hold in very high regard. He called the girls the young bags throughout his life in his correspondence to his mother and his sister. Uh, so he regarded anything arty as a waste of time. Uh, he spent his youth uh, tramping the Swiss, Swiss countryside. He used to collect bugs, which um, was what his father did. So his father, although he died three weeks before he was born, he was a botany teacher and an entomologist, so he liked insects. So Alex grew up with all these insect collections around him and like his father, he collected and catalogued insects um, throughout his young life, had dreams of being an explorer and started to become a studious young man because he saw education as a way to get out in the world. He, start, he ended up going to medical school. He went to medical school in Lausanne in Switzerland. Um, then he went to Marburg in Germany and finally ended up in Paris. By this time, his own personal role model is the great David Livingston, and he wrote to his mother one day, I will be the next Livingston. In Paris, uh, Louis Pasteur, who was one of the fathers of microbiology, had just demonstrated the effectiveness of a vaccine against rabies. Before this time, rabies was nearly universally fatal. So not only were we learning about bacteria and, and viruses, we were learning how to protect against them. So, and for the first time, in history, there is a course in bacteriology that is offered in universities. Alex enrolls in this thinking, okay, so he's into adventure, exploration. He's like, this is a new thing. I want to learn about this new thing. So he enrolls in this course and ends up performing, because he's got this medical background as well. He performs autopsies on, um, there's a few patients. So in the rabies trials, there's like less than 1% of the patients failed to respond to the vaccine. So he did autopsies on these patients so they could try and find out what went wrong and how to, how to do it better next time. Uh, during one of these autopsies, he cuts himself and as a result, he meets um, Pasteur's assistant, which is Dr. Emile Rowe. Um, he treats Alex with the new vaccine and saves his life. They get talking about the autopsy results and Alex gets introduced to the great man himself. Um, he becomes a Pasteurian, begins assisting with the inoculation of uh, rabies victims. And, and picks a topic for his thesis, which he does in Pasteur's lab. So he studies diphtheria and tuberculosis, um, two of the diseases that were quite common in Paris at the time. At age 25, he submits his thesis and becomes a doctor. And he's ever the dutiful son, he sends his medal home to his mother. 
Right, the day after he graduates, Alex is sent on a mission by pasture. So as I mentioned earlier, and other fathers of microbiology, uh, this was alive during this time, which was Robert Koch. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys here are scientists at all or work with scientists, but what happens sometimes when you get these um, great ac academic minds is you also get great academic rivalries, and things were no different here between Pasteur and Koch. They did not like each other at all. Any time they could, they rubbished each other. They said, his work is crap, his work is crap, so he uses bad techniques, he has no good ethics, and they didn't communicate at all. Uh, despite this, Pasteur did recognise that Koch may have something to offer. So he's got this young graduate here, Alex. Alex is Swiss. He's fluent in both German and French. Pasteur is like, Alex, I have a job for you. So the, the night he graduates, he's sent on an overnight train to Germany. He joins uh, Robert Koch's bacteriology, um, or it's a practical microbiology course, stays there for 25 um, lectures on the course. Uh, he takes copious notes down, which he takes them down originally in German. He translates them all into French for Pasteur. Jaws plans to adopt, like how to adopt what uh, Koch does into Pasteur's laboratory. And his conclusion to his report back to Pasteur is, it should not be too difficult to do better in Paris. <laughs> he was a very successful spy. So Alex goes back to the Pasteur Institute. He writes to his mother. He, he writes to his mother to find him a wife. He, he was not particularly interested in getting married at the time, but it was what was done. So he's graduated, he's a doctor, and he saw a pasture. He could work with a wife, so why not? His, his mother obliges that um, Alex not being the most social of people. His courtship was a bit clumsy. He preferred to talk about matters of science rather than matters of the heart, and he's not well-versed in flattery. This relationship quickly fails. And this is the last time in, in Alex's life that he ever considers marriage. All right, so marriage is no longer on his thing, list of things to do. Alex starts dreaming again of becoming an explorer. He becomes restless. He takes trips out to the French countryside to look at different bacteria in the mouths of children just to see if there's any differences between um, the children who have the smoke from the factories in Paris and the children living in clean environments. The most important thing to Alex in this trip was not the results he found from checking the mouths of these children, but it was that he got to see the ocean for the first time. He fell in love with the sea. He writes again to his mother, I shall be glad to leave Paris. The theatre bores me. I can't abide society, and it is no way to live not keeping on the move. So he goes back to the Pasteur Institute, reluctantly does some teaching, submits his third paper. Um, this one is categorising the diphtheria toxin, which is what we still use um, to vaccinate against diphtheria today, so a very useful thing. And finally convinces Pasteur to write him a reference to be a ship's doctor. So he leaves the laboratory behind, he's sent to Asia, spends most of his time in Vietnam, where he falls in love with a small but beautiful bay called Nha Trang. After two years, he is tired of being a ship's doctor. He's very uh, fickle, our Alex. And he moves to Nha Trong to make his home. He starts building his own small laboratory there and he starts trekking through the wilderness, finally starting to realise his, his dreams of becoming an explorer. As he writes to his mother, it was always my inmost dream to follow in the steps of Livingston. But although uh, Yesong, our Alex, he was beginning to become bored of science, 
Science was not yet done with him. He continues to stay in touch with the Pasteur Institute. Uh, in 1894, they ask him uh, the, to uh, travel to Hong Kong. Now, this is where our supervillain comes back into action. So the plague has started to travel out of China and it's moved into Hong Kong. And Alex being down in uh, Vietnam is a lot closer than any of the guys in Europe are. So like, Alex, can you do us a favour? Head down to, uh, to Hong Kong, identify this plague thing that's been annoying everyone and just to, like, get us help, help us fix this thing. So he arrives in Hong Kong. Um, there's devastation. He sees carts piled high with corpses. Um, what he describes as decomposed bodies of rats just spewing out of the sewers. Unfortunately for Alex, he also uh, he arrived in Hong Kong three days after a more famous microbiologist. Uh, this guy was a Japanese scientist. Uh, I'm going to see if I have trouble having this name. So it's Shibasaburo Kitasato. Um, and this man was trained by the rival of the Pasteurians, Robert Koch. So again, the old uh, rivalry comes back in. As he arrived three days before, uh, Kitasato has managed to secure exclusive access to all the cadavers from the, from the plague. He's got uh, given a laboratory to use. He's got given incubators that could be set to the human uh, body temperature. Uh, and he's got given six assistants. Alex arrives and they're like, sorry, mate, we've got nothing left for you. This dude's taken off a good shit. So he gets his little, <laughs> little straw hut outside the hospital. He's got his microscope, which he actually brought himself and his own uh, basic medical kit that he always carries with him. So Alex was undeterred by these setbacks. Um, on, he got uh, chatty with the locals and found out that if he was happy to spend a bit of money, the people in the mortuaries would um, be, be amenable to having their fingers greased to get access to the bodies. So this is what he does. So he, he pays the mortuarians, gets in there, and he takes samples from plague victims. Uh, because he's doing this all in the stealth, he has to be a little bit quick about it and he just cuts off. So with the plague, there's a couple of different things that can happen. And one of the things is you get swollen lymph glands. Um, they're big lumps and they call them bulbos. So that's um, you get the bu bubos, sorry. And that's where you get the term bubonic plague. So they're big swollen masses of lymph node, which is just full of bacteria. So he goes, he cuts off some of these bubos, goes back to his little um, microscope, looks under and he sees these little bacteria which to him look like little rods. And he's like, yes, I've found the plague, this is great. So within five days, he's characterised these bacteria, packaged them back off and sent them across to Europe so that the Pasteur Institute can start working on a vaccine. Now, um, Kitasato, who was there with all that equipment, never ended up finding the correct uh, bacteria that caused the plague. And there are a couple of reasons for this. The first thing that was that um, Kitasato, because he had a bit more time, he went straight for the blood and he thought, okay, the bacteria must be living in the blood, so he took the blood and cultured that. And the second problem was that he had his incubator set to the human body temperature about 37 degrees, and the plague bacteria grows best at 28 degrees, and this was the ambient te temperature of Hong Kong at the time. So our Alex, who had no incubator, had the perfect conditions to keep this bacteria alive. What Kitasato found was another bacteria that overgrew what, his, what the plague bacteria was. So he sent stuff into the journal, which um, ended up being the wrong thing. All right, so Alex has found his bacteria. He's sent it back to the Pasteur Institute. He's gone home to Na, Na Trung. He's like, 
great, back home, I can start mucking around with my exploring again, this is good, goes into the jungle a few more times. A year later, he gets another letter from the Pasteur Institute. They're like, Alex, we've been trying with this bug. We're trying to get a vaccine going. We can't do anything with this thing. It won't cooperate with us. Can you come home to Paris? And he's like, all right, if I have to, I'll come back to Paris. So he gets on a ship, travels back to Paris, um, and he starts working on making a vaccine. I don't know if it's because he wasn't really fond of Paris and didn't want to stay there that long, but within two months, he'd managed to find a serum that protected mouse, guinea pig, rabbit and horse against the plague. So in two months he did what they couldn't even start to do in one year. With his new... He gets to the horse stage and he's like, ah, that's it, you guys can finish it now. We've got something good going. I want to go home. On the way home, he stops off at China because there's um, the plague still going on in China over there. He wants to sort of try it out in humans too. So he heads to China to a town called uh, Guangzhou and he, he's quite upfront. He goes to the government. He says, I've got this serum. I know it works on horses. I haven't yet tried it on humans. Do you mind if I chuck it in a few humans here and see how it goes? <laughs> the government were, understandably, a little bit apprehensive about this, thinking if we get Europeans to, um, to experiment our population here, it's probably not going to be a good thing. But they managed to find this one dude in a monastery who's secluded anyway. So they're like, well, he's in a little room. No one will know if he lives or dies. So... <laughs> Go ahead, try your serum on this guy. And he, and he does, and he saves his life. So he becomes the first doctor to ever save a confirmed case of the plague. So encouraged by this, he heads home back to um, uh, Na Trung and starts setting up a laboratory to mass-produce plague. Uh, he, he gets a call after a while. He's been producing for a while, and he gets a call, please come to Bombay, we need help. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't have quite as much as he'd like. He only has hundreds of doses and really he'd need hundreds of thousands of doses, but he thinks I'll go anyway. But uh, here's another problem. This is a different rivalry. So this is a rivalry instead between the British and the French, So, um, which some of you may also be aware of, that there's sort of this ongoing animosity between these two countries. It's actually been going on for quite some time. They don't like each other much. Anyway, so... Um, Alex turns up there with his vaccines. He sees the British doing things which they think is going to help with the plague. He knows it's no good. He's not very cooperative with them. Basically, essentially, is telling them what you're doing is shit. And they take him as an arrogant Frenchman and say, piss off, we don't want to deal with you. So he goes to some more remote communities of India, uses um, uses the the vaccine he's got there, mixed success. It's not perfect every time, but definitely better than what they had in the past. Uh, his replacement gets sent from the Pasteur Institute because the offence from the British ends up getting back to them. They send this new dude. Um, his replacement is told, your song is a good man, but it has to be said overly uncouth. His attitude in Bombay was most disagreeable and I fear you may have some difficulty in remedying the unpleasant impression he made there. So his replacement was this man called Paul-Louis Simon. Um, and while he was there, it did take him a while to get back the trust of the British. And the main way he did that was by finally finding out that it was the flea that was transmitting the plague from the rat to people. So he made that connection and that way people were able to stop the spread easier. So after his little stint in, um, in India, this was basically the end of uh, Alex's time with the plague. So he'd, he'd done his job. There was a serum there. 
Um, so he went home. He, he didn't concentrate so much on that anymore. So he did a few other things. He's, as I've, I've said before, he was a little bit fickle. So he, he did build a, a pastor institute there. So he learned architecture. He learned about electricity. He studied physics, mechanics, agriculture and chemistry. He planted coffee, tobacco, and he also planted cocaine. So this is as for medical cocaine. Um, but funnily enough, he also made a drink, a liquid concentrate, um, which included cinnamon out of cocaine. And this is a drink he called Cola Canel. So Canel is the French for, I don't know if I'm saying that right either, for cinnamon, which he abbreviated as Coca, which if he had painted it, was very, very similar to a dark, fizzy drink that we have today. He continued to treat the uh, poor for no money, as he wrote to his mother once, to ask for money for treating the sick is a bit like telling them your money or the life. He set up a rubber plantation. He secured a contract with Michelin, which you may have heard of Michelin before. He began planting and acclimatising uh, chinchona trees from which an anti-malarial drug uh, quinine is produced. He set up the first radio communications in that area of Vietnam. And he also dabbled at civil engineering, building roads to link up parts of the country. To this day, um, Alexandre Yasong is more well known in Vietnam than he is in any other place in the world. He is well loved there. He's called um, Ong Nam, which basically means Uncle Five, for the fact that when he was a ship's doctor and first visited, he came with the five stars. So, um, he's very, very... He is known a little bit in France, but he's not known much throughout the West, rest of the world. Probably the one tribute that we have to him now is that the bacteria that caused the plague now carries his name. It is called Yersinia pestis. And this was given a year after Alex's death. So we know what happened to Alex, but what of the plague? So it sort of dwindled off a little bit. It hasn't been, like, it's caused a few deaths. The last plague, the modern plague, which sort of really goes up to now, it includes, so from the 1850s through to now, has ended up killing about 15 million people still. Uh, the, I guess the uh, discovery of antibiotics has helped a lot. So the serum that Alex did was good, but antibiotics are better. They pretty much wipe out the plague. But on my closing note, I'm just going to say at the end of the 1990s, there was an antibiotic-resistant version of the plague that was found. So just be careful. 